Excuse me. If you're going to be back here, you have to have a pass. A pass? I'm gonna pass some information on to you. You bozos outside got the trucks blocking my car in. My Rolls Royce. Well, what are you talking about? Where did you park? What do you think? You listen to me? I just said I parked up between your trucks. That's why I can't move. Don't you give me attitude. I'm a mother. No, I mean, I'm a... I'm a doctor. I'm a surgeon. I come down here as a favor to Mr. King. You see, his hands are insured for a million dollars. Now the insurance company not gonna let him walk out on that stage until they had him checked out by me. Meanwhile, I got a medical emergency downtown, but I can't get my damn car out. Sir, just calm down. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, good, good. How are you? I'm Ryan, and that's how I'm doing. I'm Ryan. I'm crying, Ryan, for I this le- episode. <laughs> I legitimately forgot to say your name. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I picked it up, and now it's on the table. Our table of spit and polish presents because we are always spitting, and we're always polish. Always. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna do it, brother. I don't know why I said brother. Like, let me say it again. I knew you were going to do it, brother, because <laughs> I'm Hulk Hogan. Thank so. you, Mr. Hogan. <laughs> Paul Hogan from Flipper? No, Pol- Polish Hogan. Ah, so we are doing our show Pictures Powwow, our podcast in which we talk about a movie that has come recommended, whether the recommendation is from myself, from Bartek, or from you, the listening people. That's right, you're a people, not a person. And so a movie was recommended. I recommended the film. It's in the title of the episode, Heart and Souls, from 1993. So I'm laughing because Bartek visually looked up as I said that, like he was looking up at the title. Where's the title? Which works really <laughs> well for an audio, basically, because it only abuses me. So I'm saying the pitch and then I go, <laughs> because Bartek's being silly, which is nice of him. But we're doing Heart and Souls from 1993, starring Robert Downey Jr. and various other people. If you have not seen the film, Watch the film. We're going to be talking about it in depth with details and spoilers and nuances. And if you're at all interested in watching it or if it seems like it may be your bag, baby, watch it. Because to give a pitch of the movie to entice you if you have not watched it, it is about a... How to describe it? These four these four people tragically die in a bus crash and their souls uh are removed from their body and they are attached to this one child and they have to figure out what's going on and the child eventually grows up to be robert downey jr and he must help them put what right what once went wrong yeah, just to be clear they attach to the child like within a minute of the child being born yeah and they stick around with it until it becomes robert downey jr yeah yeah so and they're wacky characters uh and this is a movie directed by the same guy who did tremors so have fun with that yeah and written by the same people who did tremors in part have fun with that so that's the pitch go 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 off 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 it's it's funny and it's dramatic and it's musical kind of there's singing and dancing in it it's diegetic so bartek is it diegetic or non-diegetic i don't care the the singing's diegetic but is the music i guess not that's the first discussion (laughs) heart and souls what is your history and relationship with this movie and what did you think 
Um, I don't think I've ever heard of this movie before. I know it's a shocker for, for me. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. What the fuck? I know. Dude, this was always on TV when we grew up. Where were you? Where were you? I've never heard you ask me that question before. Where were you? <laughs> when were you? <laughs> I was on a flight. Um, no. Killing the Polish president, allegedly. <laughs> oh, God, no. You're going to make my stepmom cry, man. <laughs> um, I could do more than that. <laughs> Make a clean many of the toilets in your father's house. <laughs> <laughs> because Bartek's dad has like has like fifteen toilets in his, in his two story house or whatever it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're at the urinal just for good measure. Yep. Ah, oh, sorry. You were saying. Um, never seen this film before. Hadn't heard of it. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't heard of it. Um, I was born the year this film came out. So, yeah, so I. So we have four souls attached to us each. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, like, <laughs> unless eight people died in like a, oh. know, a bus crash, how would they get divided? Yeah, well, I get the cool ones. Oh, that means I get the boring ones. That means I can make <laughs> them cool. Oh, uh, just question. So you hadn't heard of it, seen it? When the movie did start to present itself, did any thing lingering or anything of its existence or its pitch kind of hit the palette to you as something that you may have heard of in your life? I mean, a big part of this film's plot is the whole idea of people who have died but still have, you know, lingering regrets and mm. they have to somehow, you know, fulfill them before moving on. Like, you could almost say that, uh, what was that film we did, Under Her Dead Body? Over Her Dead Over Body. Her de- Sorry, I did the opposite. Over Her Dead Body kind of had a thing like that, and I think there have been other things that I've seen that had a similar plot or even just a similar idea in like the grand scheme of things. So um, even though I walked in not knowing what the plot was, you know, that idea was familiar to me. Hmm. It's a wonderful life, you could argue, in a minor extent. Yeah, it's got they that. They become stars at the end. <laughs> he was a true, star, the angel, true, yeah. Uh So I, oh, and what did you think? Um, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I'm kind of a sucker for, you know, sentimental stuff like that. Um, so very easily I walked out of this one being like, yeah, I like that. There are some obvious issues with it that we can talk about. Nothing that I'm too... Obvious issues? <laughs> Nothing that I'm too passionate about, but I mean, objectively, yeah, there are some things to talk Interesting. about. Interesting. Are we keen to hear your point of view of what using our objective criticisms in this flawless <laughs> film? No. No, of course, I, I understand. I grew up with this movie. It was always on TV. It is uh, a movie that I hold very dearly. It's been the white whale of this podcast for me because it's been on and off the list for both unappreciated masterpieces and this show. I felt that, yeah. I was unsure if I should put it on unappreciated masterpieces because people who have seen this movie really like this movie, but at the same time, it mm. has some qualities to it that is worthy of that category of it's yeah. just it's it's not as if people haven't seen this movie or aren't aware of this movie but at the same time it does feel like the audience around this is a lot smaller than i think it would be yeah it feels kind of forgotten and it's i think on imdb it's like sitting right on that seven mark which was kind of our cut off at the time yeah so and another selfish, not selfish reason, but like another f- reason I didn't want to do it for Unappreciated Masterpieces, which was our previous show in which we did commentary tracks, was the movie makes me choke up a little. And I don't know if I could restrain that on mm. a comedy podcast in yeah. which we would be like, I would give this rating a Milo out of pants, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then be like, 
petty. <laughs> She's a good mum. <laughs> I I I love this movie. I I it's a very emotional movie. It makes me very emotional. It makes my sister very emotional. It makes Sam Noonan, one of our previous guests, very emotional. Okay. Anyone I've met who's watched this movie all have their moments in which it choked them up in a way, or several. And so I like it a lot, and I thought we would do it on the podcast one day. But then I just kept not doing it. I was like, no, I can't do it for I appreciate masterpieces. Uh, I don't think so. And then one day we'll do it for this. But then I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm up for feeling sad mm. in this way. You know, sad in other ways when we do sad movies on the podcast. Like, oh, how miserable. But like sad and like, oh, this is sweet. Mm. And also tragic in parts. But like... Yeah, so I've always wanted to talk about it on here because I really like this movie. I think it needs to be talked about more. Barely anyone reviews this movie. Like, you just go on YouTube, and it's surprising how few people review this movie on YouTube. Like, we often make jokes, Barsic and I, on and off the podcast about Channel Awesome and all of those people. And I'm really surprised none of those people have ever reviewed this movie, I'm pretty sure. Hmm, interesting. Doesn't that seem like something they would do? Yeah. This movie? Yeah. Seems so obvious to me. And I'm not saying they're the marker of quality, not to me, but it's something like these bigger YouTube reviewers barely talk about, and there's barely any smaller ones either. It's it's not saying that there isn't, and obviously there's other podcasts, but I, I feel like, man, I wish people would talk about Heart and Souls more often, and I wonder if I can talk to Bartzik about it and hear what he has to say. I wasn't, I didn't have any real thoughts about how you would react to this movie i i just was thinking about myself i was thinking how i'm going to react and how i'm going to talk about this Mm -hmm. i didn't really know if you're going to like this if you thought it would be too much or whatever it is and uh i was just like well we'll see how bartek feels about this movie i think he'll enjoy aspects of it because it has actors we like Mm -hmm. it has characters like very well-defined characters and it's one of those movies where the question will be asked who did you like out of our characters? And you'll have a different answer depending on the person. Or which one did you find the saddest to watch or the funniest to watch? So, yeah, that's my complicated but long history of the Heart and Souls. This was, this was always on TV. Always on TV. And I've connected with so many people with this movie. Like I said, our good friend Sam Noonan, one of my friends back in Kempsey, Imogen. It's one of those things where it comes up and you find somebody who knows it, and then you're instantly like, hug a bug, and shit like that, <laughs> and you just go, oh, God, and you talk about the sad and the funny moments, walk like a man, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. What was your expectations walking in? Did you have any kind of inkling of what you were going to be getting? Because I imagine you probably forgot, or maybe you mildly remembered last week, all I said was it still ties into our supernatural a supernatural element is here, and Robert Downey Jr. I think that's all I said. Yeah, that's vaguely what I remembered. Um, the thing that I was lingering on was uh, the actual title, because mm. the phrase, like, heart and soul is a normal thing, but I noticed that souls was plural mm-hmm. and heart wasn't, so I was kind of wondering, like, okay, there's a reason for that, and what's that going to be? And also, I did vaguely remember, yeah, it's going to tie into supernatural heart and soul, kind of sounds like it has, like, a religious y afterlife thing mm-hmm. to it. Um, so when the film... When the premise began, it was like, okay, there it is. Okay, I understand where this is going. Um, but immediately walking in, I, I didn't really know what it was going to be. Um, 
the the film opens with like that score over the credits that was like I really enjoyed that score. It was it felt very yeah, like from the nineties, it felt very kind of whimsical in a way, up uplifting. Ethereal. Ethereal, yeah, that's a good word, especially since we're going through like the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um run me on some of the old Harry Potter openings. Yeah. Yeah. Um so that kind of set me in the mood for what this film was going to be like. Okay, it's not going to be like connected because it's a horror film or anything like that. It's it's going to be some sort of um, lighthearted affair. Some sort of lighthearted spiritual affair, I suppose. Yeah, and that was kind of accurate. Yeah. And so as it unfolded, this movie has a very interesting structure. It's very interesting because the first half hour is set in like the. 50s and 60s and yeah we don't re- meet robert downey jr for quite late in the game like 30 minutes in and you don't really know what the plot of the movie is because they don't know either you don't get the bus driver scene until like 30 40 minutes in yeah it's half like almost half the movie's burned up by then but like it's interesting structure but how did you feel about how the movie unfurled itself in terms of plot and tone because what did you think this movie was going to be when it started? Did you think it was going to be a f- comedy film? Did you think it was going to be a drama? How did you feel? Because it is one of those ones where it starts out a certain way, and then by the end, you're like, oh. Yeah. I think until the second person got on the bus, I was still trying to really work out what this film was going to be, because we're meeting our four lead characters, mm. other than Robert Downey Jr., who, as you said, doesn't appear for a while. Um, and they've all got different things going on, different little stresses or goals that they have to achieve at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, and obviously, the, it's all going to link together somehow. And I was wondering, like, okay, is it going to be uh, like thematic? Are they actually going to meet, or is it going to be more direct? And once the second person got on the bus, it's like, okay, they're all gathering to a meeting point, and something's going to happen on this meeting point. And obviously, it was a bus crash, and they die. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so, so up until that point, I was really just in like, where's this going mode? And then got a bit clearer as, as the bus thing started happening. And what about the tone? How did you, how did you feel about how the tone weaved itself in and out of being funny and dramatic? Because it's funny to see Robert Downey Jr. be possessed by Julia and he's kissing and being seductive, but then, (laughs) but then it'll be like... Hug a bug. <laughs> it's like really sad. Yeah, a lot of when they get up to the p- possession stuff, a lot of that kind of leans into the comedy a bit more, mm-hmm. a bit a bit more unnaturally. I would feel. Yeah. Like obviously it was very funny stuff, but it's like you know you've been following this guy for thirty years. You know you know what his deal is here. You know how things will go if he behaves a different way, and you're. You know, you're flirting with a bunch of old men when you're mm. this 30-year-old guy who's got a girlfriend. But then they have an explanation of how they can get away with that. Yeah, they do. And and that that links it back into, like, the believability of, like, hey, tell them this. And Rob Dinerji doesn't even question. He's like, that's good. I'm going to go do that. And then Charles Grodin is like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, like, is that a real medicine? <laughs> it sounds real. Um, yeah, uh, I... Rewatching it for this. This isn't a movie I like to rewatch all that often nowadays because it makes me sad, like mm-hmm. in a good way. I'm not afraid to admit that I, I cry or tear up in this movie at multiple points. It's, but so I don't like to rewatch it all that often. But when I do, I, I, I'm, I, I like it. I enjoy myself. 
I like all of the car- all of the souls. I like like Robert Downey Jr. as much as you can because he's a little turd at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> the transition of him from kid to adult with the sunglasses tells you everything you need to know about what he's become. Mm. It was a good transition too. It was. Um, Kurtwood Smith's in this movie. <laughs> he was, yeah. By the end, <laughs> I returning for- <laughs> from Oscar for this. <laughs> By the end, I forgot about that, but then when I saw him in the credits, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like the tone in the movie. And another reason why this almost could have been an unappreciated masterpiece is we've talked about this a lot over the years. Don't you miss mo- big Hollywood movies like this? Like the mid-tier, weird premise, but like it's sincere. There's not a cynical bone in this movie's body at all. This doesn't feel like somebody wanted to make a movie so that it can make money. It feels like someone out there or a series of people had a project they really wanted to bring to life and give to us. That's that's what I like about this movie, and I feel we've discussed this many times. Don't you miss these kind of studio comedy mid-range movies? There's so few of them nowadays. It feels like you have to go for much lower budget ones or more independent ones. Yeah, yeah, this film had a big lack of this kind of modern... Not cynicism, but, you know, kind of self-awareness, mm. uh, over-pop-culture-y, reference things. Like, obviously, it has songs in it. That, that's yeah. pop culture. But, um, like you said, like, we opened this podcast on, there were diegetic reasons for those songs. It wasn't just, oh, here's a song for the background of this scene. Because this film didn't do well when it came out, financially, and it was critically reviled as well. Reviled. It wasn't received as well. And it gained an audience like Austin Powers through video Mm -hmm. and then TV with me with TV, right? And it's sad because, one, if this movie did come out today, there would be no difference. It would would fail, right? If this movie came out today, Mm. the way it is, with the sincerity and the fun and the music and the dancing and like the, the, the blatant emotional beats that it has i don't think it would succeed and two they won't make movies they don't they they, they just wouldn't Mm. could you imagine robert downey jr doing this movie in the modern day never yes never (laughs) this was him a year after doing chaplin an oscar nominated film of his Mm. he was fresh off of an oscar nom and a little over a dozen years away from the shaggy dog Yes, yes, our, our favorite film of Robert Downey Jr.'s. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, oh, let's briefly talk about that. Uh, we geek out over this, but there's actors that we know and there's actors that we've had on the podcast before. As I mentioned, the director and the writers did Tremors mm-hmm. and uh, some of the writers. The original two writers aren't from that, but it's the whole thing. Uh, because this was based on a short film that got expanded into something else, originally called Seven Souls or something like that. And okay. then it got into this and um the guy who did tremors was brought on to direct this and he wanted to touch up the script so he got his two guys that he uses all the time to lighten up the script and give it some some extra stuff in there like the walk like the man motif and uh we got him and he brings a few people like uh the guy at the very end who they go to the farm 
the guy that owns the house. He was in Tremors. He was. Uh, I'm feeling a character's name, Miguel. Or oh, he yeah, was yeah. the guy who worked at the convenience store, and he had the little. Uh, he was one of your favorites. He had the little ride-on mm. that they used to distract the graboid. He was in that, and he worked as that director a few times. We have Robert Downey Jr. of course from the Shaggy Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, who else do we have? Bartek. We have uh, a few others. Milo- Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, Kurtwood Smith. Milo was one of the ones that I noted. He was in Twin Peaks: The Return. Yes, Tom yeah. Sizemore. More. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, we have uh, uh, yeah, a couple of I said Kurtwood Smith. We have, of course, the one that I kind of teased Bartek before we did this because Bartek was like, yeah, one of the two main guys. And I know, and, I, and, and there's the main obvious one. And I kind of laughed in my head being like, yeah, yeah, the main obvious one. And then when I went, oh, wait, he's talking about Robert Downey Jr., not <laughs> Charles Grodin. Yeah. Who you know from? Uh, big Fat Liar. No. No, well, is he not the Big Fat Liar guy? No, no, no. He was the ex. He was the dad in the ex. Your favorite character in that movie in which he was the drunken, like he was mowing oh, the yard. Oh, that film. Yeah, yeah. With <laughs> Zach Braff. I had to refresh my room. Zach which one Braff. was Which one was the ex? That one. And he had your favorite scene <laughs> ever in a, in a movie. A mo- my favorite swear. <laughs> Yo, there's a scene in the ex that's inexplicable. It comes out of fucking nowhere. And it's him. I can't even describe the scene. He touches a lamp that's really hot and just it, it squares the movie in a movie that's restraining it, he, he was having a I can't remember tech if it was, issue or something. Right? I can't remember if it was a tech issue or an emotional scene or something, but he's talking to the main character relatively in a gently voice, like normal conversational voice. And then at the very end of the scene, he touches a lamp. And it's, it's hot. It's really hot. He just abruptly goes, ah, fuck. And then hard cut, like, before he even finishes swearing. Yeah, and, it, and you always bring it up. And then he also had your other favorite scene in that movie in which Zach Braff runs to him for help. <laughs> and he's mowing the lawn yes. while drinking a scotch. And this is, correct me if I'm wrong, is, this is at a point where he doesn't like Zach Braff because yeah. he's... Like, he ruined his life. He, he ruined, ruined his business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got him fired and stuff. So and that's like, why he's day drinking. So they're not getting along. And then Zach Braff reveals something that should make him hate him more. But he likes him. But now. then that rev- that that honesty like made him like him. <laughs> and that's Charles Grodin. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. And there's. I'm trying to think. There. There must be one or two others in here. But the movie's filled to the brim with interesting character actors and people that we just like in general. And Charles Grodin is another reason I wanted to cover this podcast because he unfortunately passed away a few months ago in real life. Yeah, and mid-May, I think. He, I wanted to cover the movie, but then I was like, oh, I should later. I don't want to make it feel like we're doing it because he passed away. But I've had films like, I literally had to scrap because, oh, they just died. I don't want to. <laughs> and it's sad because... To talk about Charles Grodin for a second in this movie, I know we'll talk about it. He plays Harrison. I'm used to Charles Grodin being what we saw him in the X and the Beethoven movies, Midnight Run, Clifford, his talk shows in which he was always, um, I don't know how to describe, aggravated is his character. I would describe like he would often play aggravated characters. People who are frustrated would get easily angry. But in my life, I've always known him for this, in which he's not that. And same with Robert Downey Jr. In my life, I always knew Robert Downey Jr. for this movie. And Robert Downey Jr. doesn't really play characters like this anymore. So it's weird how when you see a movie for that first time or when you're young and you see an actor and you're enraptured by them, you place them in that box. But then you find out that this box you've placed them in 
isn't actually the box that they're usually placed in. How do you feel about that? Yeah, apparently Chester is stifler to most people. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, 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 exactly. That's exactly right. And here, I, I, this is probably, I'm biased, but this is my pe- favorite Charles Grodin performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he was in, um, um, So I Married an Axe Murderer. He was reprising a role from a previous movie in which he was in the car and they were trying to, he was trying to, uh, Mike Myers was trying to escape from the axe murderer or something. And he, he knocks at this car window and he rolls down his window and it's just Charles Grodin. He's cynically and dryly saying, I'm not going to help you. There was something like that. And he just drives away. (laughs) It was one of the funniest moments in that movie. (laughs) And he does it with absolute smugness. I love him in this movie. There's no sense of that. He's really genuine and the character is very quiet and reserved and nervous but he's a little bit of a pompous prick at times in the movie. Like he still has those little flares of what Charles Grodin would deliver as an actor. And uh, I want to ask, did you have a favorite soul? Who was the one that you gravitated towards, whether they were funny or they drew you in because of their tragedy or their personality or the performance? That's a tough one. Cause like you, I, I liked all of them. They were all really, heartwarming in different ways they they all had their own thing going on mm. um when i was looking up about this film um i found a thing online talking about how each of them uh sort of represents the four different types of love which is like romantic mm. friendly unconditional and the other one platonic. um platonic <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so they they all brought something different to to their relationship with the kid um, I really liked how at the very beginning of the film, they're suddenly tethered to this baby and mm-hmm. they don't know what's going on. And then it cuts to, you know, a few years later and they're yeah. all, they're already like warm to the child. Yeah. And that was really nice to see. Cause at this point, you know, I just, I just kind of learned each of their deals. Like Charles Grodin is Grodin. Charles Grodin is this kind of stressed, uh, anxiety filled, an anxiety filled guy, and then wants just to sing, wants to sing, and then you see him here a few years later, just a few seconds later for us, and like he's just warmly looking at the kid, and like yeah, yeah. part of the group really comfortable. And it's like, oh, this I'm already feeling, yeah, things. like this uh, is really nice, yeah. When 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 uh, he's a baby, right, and he's like in his little stroller thing, and the parents are like, what's he doing, laughing at the wall? I buy him all these toys and gifts, and he <laughs> laughs at the walls. <laughs> oh. Now he's going to go off and laugh at the kitchen. Yeah, and, and because like singing is such a big part of it, you obviously get the sense from the um, what's the black lady's name? Penny. Penny. You you get a sense from Penny with her like uh song that she sings to her child that she kind of brings the music to the group, but also kind of him because he's the singer of the group. And Milo is the one who sings "Walk Like a Man." That's his song. Yeah. And Penny uh, and uh, and Julia works at the club, so mm-hmm. they all have a musicality to their characters, which is also what makes you buy the musical sequences in the movie. It makes you buy into the schmaltziness of seeing a little seven-year-old boy sing Walk Like a Man with these four wacky characters. One's in a hat and a vest and the other one's like a greaser and the one's an, a prim proper black lady and the other one's like, you know, Julia's like the typical 50s blonde haired with the pink thing in it. Like, it makes you buy into the absurdity of that because each one of them has subtly indicated that they have some musicality to them, mm. which is neat. It's It's interesting, but yeah you're saying like uh it's hard to pick it it is hard to pick yeah you get attached Um, to them yeah in in terms of what you said like oh did you have well you didn't ask me but uh the like choking point or or moment that gets you choked up oh yeah 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 um i i didn't 
have one exactly, but I had little bits of ones in certain points. And I remember the when Milo was going to go away, like mm. the, the first one to, yeah. you know, pass on. Like He didn't th- want to go. Yeah, he didn't want to go. And there was, I, I, because the, the, we just came off of, uh, you know, them singing Walk Like a Man on the Street as Bus Suddenly Comes. I did get a little, you know, little bit choked up when he was going. And it was just this thing of, like, he's not going to be in the film anymore. It was, yeah, yeah really kind of sincere thing. And it, and it, in that moment, right, the, the success, it's like the, the celebration moment of them singing and dancing in the street. And you get that feeling, like, oh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is finally in tune with them. Like, they're not going to get resistance now. And, you know, that. Oh, yeah, that, that, maybe, maybe they'll celebrate every time. That yeah, yeah, and they're singing and dancing. And then the boss comes and you're like oh no the reality of the pitch of this movie is each one of them's going to go and you don't want them to go because you like them mm. and like you said oh he's no longer going to be in the movie now he's gone and you realize that's going to be every single one of them they're going to leave and yeah. you're going to miss them and there's going to they're going to have a happy ending of a sort you you don't want penny to go you don't want yeah and even thinking ahead there's this thing of like okay well so what's the order gonna be like who are they gonna justify mm. as being the last one what's the dynamic gonna be there did you pick it um, the last one would be n- did i have a guess um i i kind the only thought i had in my mind was okay well they're not just gonna like do the two men first so i was immediately wrong on that um the two best friends first, and then the other two best friends. Yeah, last. I mean, having seen the full film in retrospect, it makes complete sense why they picked who they picked. But no, I didn't guess it. Because we start with her; she's the first soul we we start with, right? She, Julia, or she's the one we get the most stuff happening in the beginning, where she's got her boyfriend issues at the club. I can't remember who we start on. Um, but yeah, she she's the last one. But uh, I know it's hard, but do you? Do you have a favorite soul, like one that you just think of, you think about or like, or just they emotionally got you? Because for me as a kid, it was Milo. Obviously, he was the funny one. He was the gangster guy. He was the pervert. He was the one that Robert Downey Jr. really nailed when he was possessed by them, like he did before. <laughs> hey. And uh, you know, he was he was trying to break out. I liked him as a character. I liked that performance. I cried as a kid every time you had the finger guns out the window and he's like, I don't want to go, don't forget me, and all that kind of stuff. Like, They really connected and he was his masculinity. Mm. And I love that. I love Milo as a kid. Uh, my sister, I think Milo's their favorite. Uh, but as an adult, I, I, I have to say it's Harrison. I love Harrison. When I think of this movie... The scene I think of when I think of this movie now is the national anthem scene, the Star Spangled Banner scene, and Harrison refusing to do it. And he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail," and and uh, and Robert Downey Jr. just delivering it so perfectly, without malice, but with the sternness of, you know, no offense, but you died a failure because you never tried, and just Charles Grodin's reaction to that, like perfectly played. That is why he's my favorite. I I love that performance. I love he's also very funny. Mm. One of my favorite gags from Charles Grodin in the movie is just his voice of when Robert Downey Jr. is just woken up from the car crash 
and he's like, oh my god, this can't be real. Oh, these these people can't be real. And he, like, turns away to look at the wall, and from underneath the bed, Charles Grodin's head pops up, and he's got this big grin, and he's like, hello! <laughs> hey! <laughs> and Rob Dungeon's like, ah, fuck, I can't deal with this. So he's my favorite. I love his look. I love the hat. Mm-hmm. I love his pitch as well of the sad anxiety-filled man who felt like he was a failure and he made himself a failure because of that and he wanted to sing. I like him. I, I like I like Harrison a lot. Uh, and Also, Penny. I can't help but feel the most sorry for her out of all of them that died. She's like the one I w- was like, realistically, I wish you were the one that lived mm. because she was the mother. She had these beautiful relationship with her kids. She was working. She was a good person. And like, all of them, except for her, their thing that they had in life was they, like they didn't pursue this or they didn't do the right thing. But for her, it's like, what else was she supposed she was to in, do? Yeah, she was in the middle of something and- it She got, was going to work. Yeah. What else is she supposed like, Well, I mentioned she was in the middle of being a mother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But like, you know what I mean? Like the others, Julia didn't go for the guy and was pushing him off and Milo robbed from a kid and Charles Grodin didn't want to sing. And But her, it's like, well, she was just going to work and then she died. It's like, that's the most tragic to me of, of the deaths. Oh, sad. Yeah. Obviously, hence the movie exists. But on that level, I feel like a, a strong attachment to Penny and hence her ending is really probably my favorite ending of all of them the the whole car park sequence and the hug and all of that but yeah that's kind of where i land on the favorite soul type of deal i still still see the look on your face where you're like please don't make me decide <laughs> i mean honestly it, it is kind of a toss-up for me between maybe milo and penny for similar reasons you just said they, they had a lot going on um I, again i like them all i guess julia had kind of the least going on for me in that sense but you know the way her story ended was more unique than the others because it was it was like oh i i secretly wanted to do she she found a different way to make peace with herself yeah which i thought was really great because it broke up the formula of the movie yeah they left it to the end and that was uh really great yeah julia gets left on the back seat a lot and that's kind of interesting about her character is you're presenting that Harrison's the one that's always pushing his aside for everyone else, but it's actually Julia that does that throughout the movie. And yeah. she does it far more subtly. And then at the end, you're left with, oh, that was your problem all along. You just kept pushing it to the side. And now here we are, and he's dead. And he died tragically. <laughs> From mm. all implications, we can understand he died alone and sad, mm. which was really tragic to hear. Yeah, it's hard to choose. All the performances are great to me. Um, we are actors, we're fans of actors and acting. Did you have a favorite, like, performance in particular, even though, like, removed from what you think of the character? Like, did anyone stand out to you, new or old? Because, like you said, a few of these people we know, a few you don't, I imagine. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I guess I'm coming back to Milo, um... Because, like you said, he he kind of is the fun one. He's kind of the Joker there, and it may and there are times where you question, like, okay, how seriously is he really taking all of this? Because mm. in the montage before before the kid becomes Robert Downey Jr., he's still a kid. 
Um, he's kind of like half, half on like, oh yes, sincerely raising the kid and, you know, (laughs) trying to get out. He's like, I'm still testing, like, you know, how far away we can get away from this tethered kid. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm still thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do after this is done. Looking up skirts. Looking up skirts. Yeah. The, the, (laughs) the pervy one. Um, but yeah, when, when things need to get serious, like he is completely sincere about you know making peace with his regrets he takes what he did to that one kid really seriously um his sincerity you know pushes robert downey jr to letting him possess him yeah um and yeah when he when he succeeds in doing what he did and everyone's really happy like i really felt that i love tom sizemore in this movie i'm not used to this from him either I'm used to him playing soldiers a lot. I'm used to him playing cops a lot. I'm used to him playing pricks. Like, outright bad people. Like in Twin Peaks. He wanted to poison Dougie Coop. Dougie Jones. And I, I... And Tom Sizemore, from all accounts, I understand, is a very difficult person to work with. Like most movies okay. I've ever seen, trivia with him in it says he was difficult to work with. Okay. Here, that doesn't seem to be the case. Him and Robert Downey Jr. got on really well, and they went on... Literally from this movie to Natural Born Killers, both of them were in that together. So they just went from one project to the next together, which is cool. Uh, another Tremors relation is uh, um, the actress who plays Julia is the real life wife of Kevin Bacon. And she was pregnant with their kid during Tremors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the director wanted to bring her in for this. And fun little connections and tissues there, which is neat. I think that's cool. Yeah, from an acting perspective, it has to be Penny. Uh, Alfrey Woodard, yep. she's always been fantastic. She was in my childhood in the 90s because she was in three important movies for me. This, Scrooged with Bill Murray, in which she basically plays this exact same character, but she gets to live. She's uh, basically, because uh, Scrooge is obviously the Ebenezer Scrooge story, she's... Uh, um, what's his co-worker that he won't let have a break? Ebenezer Scrooge? I, don't, I can't remember the name. But you know what I'm talking about. She's yeah. she's that character, basically. But she's, you know, his secretary, and she has kids, and she's really good in that movie. And then First Contact, the Star Trek movie, First Contact, in which she is amazing in that film. She's She acts against Patrick Stewart, and dare I say, out-acts him. She she mm. outdoes Patrick Stewart, in my opinion. Alfre Woodard has also been in Desperate Housewives. I grew up with that. She's a fantastic actress. She's she's always been working. She is just... She blows me away in this movie because she makes me buy that she's a mother. She makes me buy that she's, she's stern and serious out of the group, but also she's really fun and light. And it's like she would be a fun mum to mm. have. Yeah. When the kid, when she's still alive and the kid asks her to sing, she's like, okay, yep, she's she's fully into it, like, even though she's got to go somewhere. And to talk about the, the teary-eyed or the choking up moments, of course, she has most of them for me. Mm. Our good friend Sam Noonan and my sister and I all agree one of the saddest fucking scenes ever in a movie is when they decide to disappear when he's a little boy and she's like mm. the last one. And by God, how do you not feel emotions when watching Alfre Woodard say goodbye to this little boy? Yeah. Uh, Because out of all the characters, she's the only one that actually had a kid as well. So Mm. it's like saying goodbye to a child yet again. It was the scene from AI, but with appropriate music. Yeah. And also, I cared more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Sam Noonan has said this, and I'm curious of what you think. That kid, the young Downey Jr., he's also the main kid in the Tim Allen Santa Claus movies. He's his son in those. Mm-hmm. One of the better child performances in a movie for what age he is? What do you think? I think so, yeah. That kid can act worth a dick, to quote Sam Noonan's... Well, <laughs> uh, to opposite quote Sam Noonan. He can act worth a dick. I <laughs> I can't help but get emotional when he's crying. Uh, my sister, mm. My sister, when we talk about this movie, would just say... In that, in an imitation of his voice, don't go, Milo, and I and I go like this. Mm. The the uh, the added like, thing. I, I yeah. can't. I can't. It's just so sad. The added <laughs> like first name basis thing. Yeah, really adds a kick to it. What did you think of that? Like, did that get you? Oh yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I know sometimes you're a little bit more uh, 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 strong to these obvious emotional and manipulative <laughs> moments, which this of course is. I'm not saying that as a derogatory phrase, because no, no, evidently know, yeah. we enjoyed it, but a I'm, little boy crying is, is a key. I'm a lot softer on kids crying than I am on dogs being unhappy. <laughs> There's no dog in this movie, huh? But, oh, there is a dog in this movie, but yeah. Who? Which one? Oh, yes, that's, M- right. Milo's, that's right. Milo's Rob- robbing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you didn't check for a dog. <laughs> that scene, it's fantastic. When, when they all have to disappear, you understand why they're disappearing. Mm. And they're trying to make it as soft as possible, but... It's, it's going to be traumatic no matter what. Yeah. And it really fucks him up and it gives him issues later in life. Like, they're responsible for issues in this guy's life. Mm. And just seeing also, like, the little kid just crying his eyes out, screaming for his friends that left him behind. It's, oh, my God. It's just... I don't know if you... Did you ever have any imaginary friends or figments or things like that in your childhood do you remember or do you know i think we've had this discussion in drop dead fred which this movie did remind me in parts of drop dead fred um i think my answer there was i i i i i knew of the concept and i tried it out but you know when you kind of force something it's not really real so not really yeah, I didn't really either, but I, I do get that understanding of when I watched this as a kid and when I watched it as an adult, that saying goodbye to a thing that is and isn't real forever, mm. like saying goodbye to my toys. There's that period in your life where you just know that these toys aren't going to be what they were to you once, you know, yeah. in that regard, or mm. that area, that school, whatever it is. So, yeah, it's... I love the balls on the movie too to actually have it be like they're they're making him look like a crazy person as a kid, and the parents <laughs> have to like analyze whether or not they need to take him to a council, like a school counselor, or like a, to a physician, or to a mental institute or something. Like, yeah, but they they don't take it like too much as a joke though. Like it's no. it's the cause of this kid's trauma, the fact that oh we have to stop doing what we're doing. Yeah, we can't have the fun anymore. Mm. They have to be invisible. Isn't that a torment? Didn't you feel sorry for them when the bus driver turned up? He's like, what have you been doing? <laughs> Didn't the angel come down and tell you? And they're like, no, 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 no. We've just been in this limbo not knowing what we're going to do for 30 years. Mm, yeah, th- that was one of the, the hanging threads that I was like, okay, so w- what was up with that angel? Why didn't they appear? But the, They just didn't bother. Yeah, the film never went there. <laughs> no, angels are just lazy. Mm. What did you think about the bus driver character? <laughs> I thought he would be one of your favorites. We haven't talked about him, but I thought he would be one that you would get a kick out of because of one silly reason. 
he looks like a guy that you get a kick out of in movies. You like funny looking people and he's very funny looking. <laughs> he does have the look, yeah. He looks like a bug. Um in this film like he was combating, you know, very emotional characters though. So there was this sense of like, ah, you're here. Like I don't hate you, but you know, it's what you represent kind of. He did kill them because he was a perv. <laughs> he did that well, yeah, that's true. And but he said sorry. He didn't say soz, but he said sorry. He's gonna serve five hundred years of sorries, so it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, um he he, he I liked that he, even though he was just doing his job, he understood, like, the gravity of, you know, what he's putting them through. Like, Jesus, 30 years and you guys didn't know what you were doing? I- I'll try mm. to buy you some time, but yeah. Yeah, it's... I like him. I like that performance. I like how sorry, yet not sorry, he actually is. Like, hey, I'm serving my time. Like, he doesn't... He is not. He, he doesn't fully come to terms with how much of this is his fault and I loved it when they all confront him about that and have a go at him and like really lay it on him and he he played it really well even in scenes where you're having a very dramatic moment and he's a comedic character he as a performer and as the character written they know how to pull it back enough in which it's not intruding upon the tone of the scene but also not disregarding the existence of the character thus far like at the very end with Julia and he's like fiddling around and and Robert Downey Jr. screaming at him. Like, it didn't work. She can't go fix it. Fuck you, basically. That character is still played the way we know him, but he isn't making the scene funny and thus throwing off the entirety of the tone of that scene in which it is supposed to be the big gut moment scene in which it's, wow, one of our souls can't actually do the thing that the other ones did. They can't actually fix themselves. How are we going to fix... How are we going to move forward? And the angel being like... Uh, well, here's another thing. Would you call him an angel? Rachel and I were talking about this. I'm like, well, he's a servant of God. Uh, and he works for heaven. I guess he's an angel of some sort. We know there's a hierarchy of angels thanks to the film Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where we vastly overestimated the how high they were. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what he is if he's not technically an angel. No, I, I don't think we see any angel characters in this film. No, but like what he represents. I think I'm fair enough to call him an angel of some sorts. Or a servant of God. I don't know what he... It's not like this is Beetlejuice, where Beetlejuice directly tells you, like, this is what people are in Mm. the afterlife for these reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear these negatives that you have, because we're talking very highly. Obviously, I want to talk more about positives and and the emotional moments, but I'm curious what you didn't like or didn't think worked. Um... When I when I talk about objective negatives, it's mostly in relation to the premise and how it plays out. So obviously, I really like the premise, the, mm-hmm. the whole thing of you know everyone uh, confronting the things that you know they regret or they need to need to confront before they can move on. Need to fix it. Yeah. Um, and the whole aspect of you know them leaving, you know, it's a big emotional thing and it's really good. But once they have the first person leave, and you get a sense of, like, oh, that's what the rhythm's going to be. Every single scene after that is another person leaving. Yeah, yeah. And the film's pace really increases, and it kind of hits familiar notes very often. Mm-hmm. Like, when when the twist thing happened with Julia at the end, and, you know, it's like, oh, what are we going to do now? The, the, the formula's been changed. 
it's okay. In two minutes, it's resolved still. And I, I mm. felt like... Too episodic. Yeah, it, it was. It's an unavoidable kind of thing. Maybe if you had more time, like this is only a hundred minute film. You, it's asking way too much for mm. you know what I'm saying here. Um, but it's it's just like an unavoidable you know pitfall that you're going to fall into if you don't have like a really out of the box way to deal with it. Again, I really like the film and mm. the emotional points still worked for me. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, put this film down because of this problem. Well, at least with, I think, the, the I think the thing is the second two, like the last two, Penny and Julia, they do try to throw off the formula by having, we have to find Penny's kids and there's an investigation. Yeah. And we have to go to the next door neighbor who's still alive. And the hope is like the, the trail's gone cold because we have a time pressure. We can't go all the way to meet the daughters, but we don't know where Billy is and so on and so forth, like, like in the script. Yeah. And, like, that's how they keep that lively. While with Charles Grodin, it is, like, it is as simple as his character flaw of just do the thing. Mm. That's all you need to do is just literally do the thing. Nothing's stopping you except for yourself. Yeah. Milo had to have an action sequence where he's versing an old man, which, fun fact I learned about that old man, was they hired him in real life. He was balding at the time. So when he was younger, they just decided, oh, you know what? Just put a wig on him. And then when he's old, just take the wig off. <laughs> so that's how that worked. Yeah. I'll, I'll give the film this. I didn't consider this, but like uh, Penny's one kind of had two halves where the first half was before Harrison left and the second half was after. So yeah. that, that's something at least. Yeah, I'll give it that. It's not as if the film didn't try to do like- Oh, for sure. It up, but, I liked but all of you, their scenes. You do notice yeah. the the structure of the movie and like this is the- gi- mm. It's a gimmick movie. Yeah, the, the structure and the quickened pace, basically. Yeah. yeah, I didn't mind the pace too much. I think one of my main criticisms, if I can get into mine, is I do feel like there is a- artifact of something that is removed from this movie with Kurtwood Smith's character. Mm. Again, this might be me projecting a, a version of, like, it's a wonderful life type of deal, in which is it me, or, like, they really put emphasis on, like, how harsh Robert Downey Jr.'s being on Kurtwood Smith, and, like, this is a big thing for him to succeed at his job and to destroy Kurtwood Smith. And then at the end of the movie, I guess... Kurtwood Smith still gets destroyed. Like, there's no indication. There's no payoff. Yeah, no I, I completely forgot how about he, him. <laughs> how he actually figured out a way to use the morals he's learned in the movie to do the right thing. Kind of like it's a wonderful life. Yeah, it felt like it was going in that direction to improve his life overall, but the film settled on his romantic life. And there's another issue I have. I don't give a shit about his girlfriend in this movie. I don't give a shit about her parents. He doesn't even meet her parents in the end, does he? No. Still doesn't meet them. Like, I was waiting, like, uh, that's an issue I have too. Like, those two aspects are the things that drag it down for me. They feel like one's just an introduction to what a prick he is nowadays, and there's no real payoff to that. And then the second being the, the drama in his life that these ghosts are interfering with, which, again, I don't feel was as whole as it thinks it is i said it reminds me of drop dead fred a lot i don't know if you thought about that when watching this movie there's sequences that remind me of drop dead fred like in the meeting room when he's possessed and things are going crazy or like when milo's blocking his view to write things and he's doing crazy really remind me of drop dead fred when fred inter- interfered with carrie fisher 
in that scene and Carrie Fisher's like, excuse me. And she goes outside like she's pretending like she thinks that she's dragging Fred out on the chair. And then she just starts beating him with her shoe and everyone's like looking at her like crazy. Similar to me. But another thing that's similar to me in that movie is our main character's having relationship issues and this imaginary thing is interfering with that and making it heightened. Mm -hmm. She had relationship issues with her mother and with her husband and this new guy, and it felt whole to that movie. Well, here it does feel like a Hollywood script thing, like we gotta chuck in a girl in there. We can't just let it be his job. We have to have love. And yet I feel like, you know, with Julia's payoff there, it's nice on paper, but... I didn't really feel as much uh, about him reconnecting with his girlfriend because I never really got to know his girlfriend. Yeah, a lot of the scenes with the girlfriend kind of hit those familiar uh, notes of like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with our relationship kind of thing? And the and the character like has reasons for not giving the answer because they're you know far out and it will sound like an excuse given mm-hmm. his reputation. I was mad. <laughs> and, that was good. That was a good scene. Yeah, and, and a lot of her reactions you know kind of hit those familiar ones too like when he's like do you want me to explain she's like yes and then he like hesitates for a second and she has this really big reaction of like see it's happening again it's like well that felt a bit unnatural give him a bit more time they set that up earlier in all fairness that he does that and he's like bullshit that is true yeah so it's like but i agree it feels unnatural because it is a mechanic of the movie rather than a theme of the movie that feels as whole as the other ones do yeah it was it i guess to an extent it felt scripted exactly that's it yeah so it's written by writers yeah <laughs> any other things that didn't work for you you said you had a couple honestly it was mostly just the structural and pacing things too fast pace just at the end, I felt it was. It, well, the bus was chasing. It was, yeah, and th- 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 I guess that's another thing. Like when th- when the bus turns up at the beginning of all those scenes, it's not that long ago that the bus turned up in a scene first but, time. But again. that's that's the point, right? It is the point, yeah. But it's like, oh, you like thirty seconds ago, you turned up and took someone away, and now we've got another like. Not horror sting, but like, you know, dramatic sting of like, oh, the bus is here, we have to hurry. The most effective one was when it was Harrison, when it just went on the stage. And yeah. it wasn't, there wasn't a horror sting or like a time pressure thing. It's just like, and it this matches a- <laughs> the music, like, and now it's ending. Yeah. You know, it was good, B.B. Uh, King showing up and like playing the guitar <laughs> and all of that. That was really great. I love that. I love, um, I love, uh, uh, um, Billy. Grown up, I like the cop. Billy yes, grown yes. up. I loved. Did you? I mean, I have to ask. Did you? Did you pick that was going to be Billy? Somehow I didn't. But then when it happened, I'm like, how did I not pick that? <laughs> I guess. I guess I was the only other black adult in the yeah, movie. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Yeah, I, I guess I was so stuck. Male, like, oh. male black adult because yeah. we do have a neighbor. Yep. It, it, it's like, oh yeah, this is the snarky deadpan cop that's going to keep showing up in Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> scenes, and it's going to be an increased conflict. And then, oh, he had a really nice scene. <laughs> I love that scene. It was a really good scene. It's 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 really well done. It's got a lot of movement to it, like lots of things, the car park environment, and like we already have this tension between these two because Robert Downey Jr. is like full crazy at yeah. this point. But he's saying all of the right things. Yeah, and he's saying them in the right way. But yeah. it's like also look at him. <laughs> he's like twitchy. <laughs> I don't know, man. That scene is just beautiful. Hug a bug. Oh. Mm. It just wrecks me because yeah, you feel the most sorry. Uh, I feel the most sorry for Penny. 
and the life the kids had seemed, you know, you know, he got moved around and he's a cop now and he can't find his sisters. It's sad. Mm. And then, you know, he gets to fix it for them. And, you know, you don't get that scene, right, where at the end of the movie, Robert Downey Jr. is kissing his girlfriend and then it does, like, the montage of all the people that they've affected and they're being happy. He doesn't have that. You just assume it. Like, the kid, the kid gets his, t- uh, his stamps back. Mm. Yay! And then move on. Yeah. Don't see the kid again. And same with Billy. Billy, he, you know he's going to find his sister's cool. Yeah, all, all of the trails that they, Rob Dan Jr. gave him are still there. Yeah, and you know... Unless they decide to kill the old lady off, but that's no. too mean spirit for the film. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wouldn't fit. We're talking about the, the sadness, but did you find it funny? Did you have any moments that made you laugh or smile or crack a chuckle? I mean, Milo exists for that in a, in a large part. Yeah, he, he's just this really fun, uplifting guy. Um, also naughty. He's very naughty. He reminded me of Drop Dead Fred 2, where Fred was looking up women's skirts <laughs> because he's imaginary. They could just step on him. <laughs> he had a scene where he was getting the kid to look through a magazine for him. <laughs> him and Charles Grodin. Him and Charles Grodin. Harrison was also a naughty boy in that scene. <laughs> I love that. I love that he was also a naughty boy. He had his back turned for most of it. But, 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 he, then, but, but then he was like, whoa, whoa, hold on that page for a second. <laughs> yes, but he still had his moment. <laughs> He's still horny. And the women kind of dismissed like, oh, you boys. <laughs> yeah, you, you boys. He's like, oh, you should probably have a bigger reaction so to that. So all your laughs fine. came from Milo? <laughs> I mean, those are the obvious ones, but there there were other ones. Like when they did the uh, walk like a man theme scene right after uh, resolving the stamp thing mm. and uh, Robert Downey Jr. only seemed like half into it. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. It's like he's warming up to it, but he's still kind of being pushed into it. What do you think about Robert Downey Jr.? Because we haven't seen him in a while on the pod. Mm. What's your relationship and viewpoint on him as an actor, a person, and how did you feel about all of that and just him in this movie? Yeah, that one is really interesting because I haven't seen too much with him in it, but obviously in our modern day last 13 years, he's been a very big figure in pop culture. Tropic Thunder, Tropic Thunder Iron Man, Iron Man Doolittle. the MCU overall mm-hmm. being the ma- major one. Sherlock Holmes. Um, oh, yes, yes, he was in that too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. He's a working actor, I've seen, man. I've seen those two films too. I didn't... I missed yeah. that. Um... So I, I, more so than having a history and seeing him in a bunch of things, he's got this reputation. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's, hasn't he been like one of the highest paid Hollywood actors yeah, yeah. recently? Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he also is one of those actors where, you know, they, they were a big success one point, had a terrible fall and somehow rose again. Yeah. With the shaggy dog. Um, yeah. So, so when, when the shaggy dog revived him and then he got Iron Man from that, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a role that he... You know, it's funny. When he did Iron Man, right? That was before MCU was owned by Disney, pretty sure. Or was it around the same? I thought they acquired... I can't remember. But either way, Shaggy Dog was Disney. So that was his his entry into Disney Cinematic Universe, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I wasn't joking. You weren't joking. (laughs) No, I wasn't. Um, But yeah, for the past dozen years, like he's been known to play that character, uh, Iron Mm. Man, Tony Stark. The Snark. Yep. Tony Snark. Um, and I haven't seen too many of those films because I'm not into MCU, but I have seen Iron Man 3, I've forgotten Iron Man 2, I saw Avengers, I think there was one Captain other one. Captain America, any of them? Uh, was he in the second one, Winter Soldier? 
I don't think so. I've seen that one, but I haven't seen him too much. But I have. But you get a sense of what that character is pretty clearly just from a few times. And so in my head, I just thought of him as like, oh yeah, he's one of those like uh, witty, fast-talking mm. kind of guys, which you know you love or you hate. But that's kind of what he was just in my head. Um, and even when I thought back on um, on the Shaggy Dog, where he was the villain of that film, mm-hmm. um, there was a sort of you know similar energy there too. So when I heard that we were doing a film of his from uh, the nineties, I was just thinking like, oh okay, he's gonna look younger, but what what's what's that gonna feel like? And it did kind of throw me off because I'm not too used to seeing him in this kind of role. You didn't see him in Weird Science. I have seen Weird Science, but it was so long ago that I couldn't even tell you who was in that film. He's in that. So you were thrown off by, like, yeah, seeing him young and slightly yeah. doing something different yeah, than th- the uh, standard that you've seen him in. Than, than what I've been used to knowing him for. Oh, it's so funny, because when I was watching this, I, I know we, 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 we make jokes. Robert Downey Jr. was in Shaggy Dog, and he embarrassed himself. Like, <laughs> like that's the best way to describe it. Because his physical comedy made no sense in that movie. Like, oh, he got bitten by a dog, but he's crazy. But he was already weird before then. Here, the physical comedy he does makes sense. And I was going to say, it's funny because what he's doing in this movie, like the physicality of throwing himself, the screaming, the yelling, he did it in The Shaggy Dog. This isn't unusual, really, what he's doing in this, but we care because it makes sense more so than what what he was doing, that aspect of the Shaggy, the great Shaggy Dog that aspect of him in that movie which we agreed weird in that movie his character was very out of place in that otherwise great film yeah he he was so weird that the audio in our episode was weird yeah exactly we never got over it we just couldn't couldn't handle him but like i agree i'm used to look i've seen young robert downey jr i saw back to school i've seen chaplin i've seen weird science i've seen a few others this obviously and I don't know. It it's kind of hard not to think about him in the modern context, where he is the snarky guy and the Mister. Uh, what's the Tony Stark quote where he's like a playboy genius million millionaire? That's his line, right? Yeah. It's hard not to think of him in that context. Well, here it's like, can you buy Robert Downey Jr. as a guy, like a normal guy, as a guy? Yeah, with a lot of like re- uh, like relatable stresses. Yeah, even though he's like a rich guy who hmm. drives a car that's fancy with the glasses. And I did. I did buy him. I, I thought he was very sweet in the movie. I thought he was cute in the movie. That's how I describe him. And I, and I thought he was very funny. I thought he nailed impersonating all of them. Hmm. We haven't talked about it, but how did you feel about when he was embodied by Penny? And he was breaking into the backstage by pretending to be the doctor. <laughs> I thought that would be a scene that you would enjoy because Robert Downey Jr. really nails that. He really captures her energy. Uh, we, well, we know from Tropic Thunder that he can do black people. He can. He yeah. can. In this, he didn't need the makeup, though, did he? Oscar-nominated performance, Tropic Thunder. Never forget. Never I, forget. I almost forgot. Never forget Oscar-nominated blackface in 2007? I think it was 2009 Nine, or no, 2008. it was after Iron Man. Yeah. Iron Man was 2008, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was but, after. But, yeah, like, did you did you enjoyed him in this? Did you find him funny? Yes, Charlie yes, I I found him very sincere. I, I understood why he was the way he was. When, when he first saw, you know, his friends again and he was, you know, freaking out about it, I understood, like, you know, there was the possibility that he'd be happy to see them again, but 
he'd come to terms with like what was that memory from childhood it must have been hallucinations it was you know giving me stressful time of my life like they were thinking of taking me to an institute so of course he would run straight to the psychiatric ward and did you like how they quickly resolved that idea being the whole like in another movie that could have been the conflict the whole movie of i don't believe it believe it i don't believe it he does that for like one scene and then the way they resolve it is another crazy person actually sees them (laughs) (laughs) it's a quantum leap rule of in quantum leap uh, Sam has a hologram that only he can see, except for small children, animals, and crazy people can see Al. Right. <laughs> this has a lot of quantum leap energy, this movie, in which we must fix what wa- once went wrong, and also people can see my imaginary friends <laughs> as well. And it's just wholesome and sweet and uh, all of that. Yeah, I I like him. I wish Robert Downey Jr. would take more chances in these type of roles in which he plays more openly sweet and sincere characters rather than snarky, Tony Stark, Sherlock Holmesy like, weird characters. He's, I think he's doing okay. He's still finding... Now that he's done with the MCU, now we have to see where his career goes because he did do little and that's not a good sign. But I hope that he doesn't fall down the Johnny Depp rabbit hole of playing weird characters because that seems like what he's doing where he's playing i'm a welsh version of dr doolittle i do a funny accent or i'm sherlock holmes or i'm tony star like although this is a kooky funny character there was a i don't know a naturalism to it at the same time that i feel is very different to his other roles that we've seen in more recent years i liked reading the trivia point that this is one of his favorite roles that he's done Yeah, how did you feel about that? It was really nice that, like, such a, again, a film that we were considering for unappreciated masterpieces because it was kind of, you know, forgotten or not talked about is something that he holds close to him. I think we've learned over the years that there are some actors, even if they're serious actors, some of their favourite projects are the ones that were, you can see in the film, were fun to do. Three of the Paul Giamatti films we've done, he's had a quote saying that those were really good roles for him. And most people would scoff at those Paul Giamatti movies, being the idea that Paul, like, you know, most people think Paul of Paul Giamatti, as we did before we did our own podcast, as, oh, prestigious actor, Paul Giamatti. But, like, doing our podcast, we've tainted ourselves as, like, silly actor, Paul Giamatti. But that's, like, <laughs> it's okay that these actors, some of their favorite roles are these more lighthearted things because. You know, yeah, he did Natural Born Killers after this, Robert Downey Jr., and apparently he said, like, it was day and night. Uh, This movie was day, Natural Born Killers was night, in terms of mood and tone, and it's very true. And I'm happy that he considers this one of his uh, favorites, because one of the things that bums me out about the movie is that sense of it's forgotten. And I know it isn't. People have seen it, I've seen it. People do know this movie, but it is that sense of this does feel like it's not appreciated as much. And it is good to know that even after earning billions and billions and trillions and trillions of dollars doing these very well-beloved movies, Robert Downey Jr., and even after having you know his crash with his drug problem rising up again, he's had a very... Ex- extraordinary life and extraordinary film career since the since this movie he still somehow knows to like still somehow 
has a sweet attachment to this, which I don't know when he's now 28 years old. Yeah, I don't know when he said or wrote those words, but I, I'm hoping it was more recent. He's he's said it throughout his career. Oh, okay. Uh, I've seen him in interviews bring it up every now and then. Like, he just likes this movie. Okay, that's good. And I like it too. I Look, yes, it has flaws. But to me, it's a flawless movie regardless of that because it does something that very few movies actually do for me, which is it genuinely moves me. That's its goal. Its goal is to move you emotionally. Did it succeed at that? Yes, it did. You know me. We've done movies that are emotional and that, and I've had far less of a reaction to them uh, than I have in this discussion, say. Like, uh, uh, I miss this. I want more movies like this that are just unapologetically nice. That's their thing. They're just nice. That's why we loved uh, talking about Tom Sizemore. Twin Peaks to Return, nightmare world of a project. But there was that underlying thing of one of the things that people like about The Return is Dougie Jones's storyline is everyone just becoming really nice. And it feels so yeah. unsettling. And Tom Sizemore's part of that. And in a series that's often pretty brutal and pretty tragic and pretty fucked up. Especially The Return, yeah. That's one of the standout things in that because it. You want some light in the world. Like, we both like our fucked up movies and games and stuff. We like our brooding and miserable and ooh, but also- I think you literally said last week that I've been picking a lot of suffering films. <laughs> and I picked this film, which in a way is a suffering movie because it makes me sad, but also <laughs> it makes me sad in a good way. It makes me happy. Is there a film like this for you? In, in um... any way, whether it's one you grew up with or one you've seen once or whatever, in which- it brings these type of feelings out in you. I'm not sure about films, but there's definitely been moments in things that mm. has choked me up. In fact, just recently, right now, I'm playing um, Yakuza Like a Dragon, and that's from a franchise that's very well known for its side stories. It's like the, the side quests, which are all like uniquely written and have their own tone, yeah. and a lot of them are very goofy. And there was one in this game that I'm playing right now that really made me choke up. It was like, oh, wow, that was such a kind of simple thing. But, you know, I'm just lingering on, like, some of the shots from that story. And it's just, yeah, it got me emotional. Yeah, in an otherwise very tonally... Yeah, totally wacky thing. Yeah, I I I play a lot more games than I do watch movies. So I I have, and obviously I play a lot of Japanese ones that are very story-based. So there are little moments in a lot of them that... You know, I kind of linger on. Yeah. I'm sure there's a movie out there that I could point to, but it's it's escaping me. I mean, I, I still have sentimental attachment to, like, my memories of the first time I watched Castaway. Yeah. That's a big one. But That's I, a big one. I don't get choked up anymore, but I still remember the first time I watched it. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, you mentioned games, just a detour on that. Like, I really didn't expect myself to get as emotionally invested as I did in Red Dead Redemption 2. I... Mm. I just kind of looked at it like, okay, but I I got emotionally involved with our main character in that game, which was a big surprise for myself. Mm. And I found myself a little bit like, oh no, Arthur, please. I know it's silly, but yeah. No, it's I mean, it's one of those things I didn't expect it because I've played other rock star games that have tried. They they have they rarely succeed. They have a lot of they have a lot of cynicism to them, which is part of like the comedy. But but a lot of the rocks now this is the rock star podcast. A lot of them (laughs) do try to have an emotional 
or at least this later part, like Red Dead 1 and GTA 5 and Red Dead 2, I could speak to those, are trying to, even with all the cynicism and grossness, trying to get those heartstrings at you and actually have like sweetness in there in some way, shape or form. Mm. It's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the other GTA games do that necessarily, but, you know, I think it's something that I've noticed uh, I don't know if GTA 2 does that. <laughs> it uh, it doesn't, no. <laughs> With the, um, what's the gang that has the smiley faces on their cars? The loonies. The loonies. Run by a guy named Elmo. Elmo. So, anything else you want to say about Heart and Souls? Um. It's one of those movies I feel like I could talk about forever. But also, like, I I don't know if there's actually much else to say. I, I just like this is there any Yeah, is there any more than just gushing about things we've kind of talked yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, I just like all of these people. We'll bring it up a lot in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you think you'll watch it again? Oh, for sure, for sure. Do you think it's a movie your mum would like? I think so, yeah. Do you think it's a movie your mum's seen? I'm not sure. I'm leaning no, but who knows? I mean, she was 25 when it came out. She could. She a fan of Downey Jr. Because I know your mum's a little bit like I don't like this actor. <laughs> I well, I really like this actor, and I'll see it. I don't know. If she's ever mentioned him. I mean, she grew up in the 80s. Maybe she's seen. He was a big science. thing. He's yeah. been a big thing throughout her life. I would imagine. Possibly. Possibly. He's been. A, he's been there. He's been there. He's a guy. So, I think that's all i got to say about Heart and Souls. I thoroughly recommend the movie, and I think you recommend it as well for a first-time viewer. You say, yes, check it out. I'm curious, you know, to f- cap this off, I know this is a kind of self-indulgent way of doing this, but why do you think this isn't talked about more in media discussion and reviews? Because that was al- often what we would... Just like dissect when we did unappreciated masterpieces. Recently, we had an episode in which we guested for uh, the Contrarians, in which they asked us why Oscar, the Sylvester Stallone movie, and it was like, well, it sits in this weird place, and one of the weird places is it's often lumped into a category. But this, yeah, that what that film Oscar is one that a lot of people have at least heard the title of, and and like you say, lump in with a group of other films, so they they haven't seen it, but they're aware of it. This one, maybe I have to pay attention again, but I don't know if as many people talk about it or know the title. Like, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a group of people that have talked about it in, in larger discussions. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. I just can't figure it out because it's got a well-known cast, well-known director, and it isn't to me. It isn't one that isn't. It doesn't. It's. It's not like it doesn't exist. It's just, I, I find it peculiar, and I'm glad that we at least discuss it, and there are the, uh, others, but I just, you know, it's one of those ones where I guess somehow fun- it slipped under the cr- through the cracks in some ways, shape, or form, more than I think the film deserves to. Mm. I, I think, considering, you know, how big Robert Downey Jr. is now, one of the big, high-paid actors, and people, you know, like him, like his roles, maybe they'll start hearing him talk about the film and check it out for themselves. Like, m- just, maybe that's an opening. It's also one of those films that's just hard to find. Yeah. It's really hard to find on streaming. I don't know if you found it on streaming. I uh, looked, couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, I had to purchase it on DVD, and I couldn't purchase it locally. I have to hunt for it. it there was a director's commentary track that was done on a, a podcast called The Rogue Commentary Podcast, and they had the director on, and one of the first things said was, if you're wanting to watch this movie, 
you'll have to buy it digitally because it's actually quite hard to find on DVD anymore, which I find cuckoo bananas crazy. Um, considering the talent behind it and its existence. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's also just, yeah, it's getting harder to find. And I tried to look up Ebert's review of this. Couldn't find one. Do you know if he did one? I couldn't find one. Okay. You assume so, right? But mm. I mean, yeah, back at that period, I mean, I'm sure Gene Siskel was still alive. Yeah, so. and, you know, we don't talk about it much, but I looked at Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. 55, critic. Okay. Right in the middle. It's fresh. And then yeah. 76-something, I want to say, for audience. Yeah. Which seems to be the consensus yeah. all around. Of Audiences I, I, yeah. land on a 7. Yeah, like I said, IMDb was 7. And critics split. So-so. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, Heart and Souls. So the next recommendation for a feature film for this podcast to cover is from our listening people, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Am I correct? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Walk like Orion. So did your mum recommend a movie yet? Uh, well, she did put one on the list that we've been waiting for a guest for. So so. we're not doing that. Yeah. (laughs) I keep being like... Because the suggestion's from my parents. I'm putting it out. I was on the phone to them, and they're like, could you please? <laughs> and there's only so many times you can resist saying no to your, your parents being like, please do a movie. <laughs> I want you to do a movie, Ryan. We're doing a Humphrey Bogart movie called The Kane Mutiny. Is it from last year? We're, no, but it's where Michael Kane got his name from. Oh, yes. That's right. I've heard that story. Because his real name's like a weirdo name. <laughs> Like Pothelthwaite or something weird. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. We'll have to to look it up for next time. Yes, you'll bring all the trivia in, and then I'll say, hey, Bartek, did you bring the trivia in? You're like, I don't remember you telling me that, because I forget all the time. Mm. So 1950s movie, The Cane Mutiny, it's in color. It's uh, talking about Twin Peaks connection. Um, Miguel Ferreira's father is in that movie. Miguel Ferreira, who played uh, Albert. Mm Mm-hmm. His father is in that movie. He's near the end of that movie. So I reckon you're recognizing because he he looks like his son, uh, obviously, but with like hair. Mm -hmm. But Albert had hair in the original Twin Peaks and then he was balding in The Return. And obviously he was in Robocop. Again, to give the Kurtwood Smith connection, (laughs) he was in... Do you remember him in Robocop? He was the guy who made Robocop. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Miguel Ferrer. He was the guy who pissed his pants when uh, Dick, uh, <laughs> Dick, the second in charge of OCP, grabbed him by his hair in the in the toilets. My my favorite thing. About, should we do Robocop? No. Um, one of my favorite things about that is Dick in that movie's taking a shit and he comes out and immediately does that. He hasn't washed his hands. Mm. It's just gross. And Miguel Ferrer's Dick did a piss. Yes, he did. Pee peed. PP Pictures <laughs> Power Wow, our show that you just listened to. Dick made your dick cry. So, yeah, uh, that's it. Uh, you can find us on those social medias of Facebook and Twitter. You can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts, questions, queries, and concerns. And Do you say careers? Thoughts, questions, queries, queries. and concerns. Not your careers. Let us know your career <laughs> and recommendations for movies you want us to cover. We'll add it to the list. That is it from us, Bartek. 
It was an, a pleasure to have you here again in the room with me. I wanted to comment on that. You weren't a soul. You weren't like this uh, ethereal object that I was imagining that's tethered to me, but actually you're just a corpse on the ground. Well, we are recording this on Halloween, October 31st, so, you know. <gasps> but the episode's being released on Melbourne Cup, that international holiday. Everyone's favourite international it's holiday. where the horses run. And die. I looked up the names of all the horses that are racing on Melbourne Cup. They have weird names. Harrison, Penny, <laughs> Milo, <laughs> Julia. I think there was like one called like Johnny B. Angry or something like that. Like, there was one that was like... Because that's like Johnny B. Good. It's like very exciting, but both words were spelt wrong. Good. I don't know. Horse names are weird. Have they always been weird? I don't know. Nay. Nay. Yeah, instead of woo, it's nay. That's this episode. <laughs>